Welcome to Sort of Kind of Funny. Uh, we're a comedy podcast. Brother and sister duo. Where we take your guys' embarrassing moments and stories and turn them into humor because life's about laughing at yourself and we are sure going to laugh at ourselves. I am James. I am your main Mac Daddy host. And I'm also joined by a loser. Go ahead. Wow. Introduce yourself, loser. <laughs> Go ahead. Don't be shy. <laughs> this is Lauren. Give it to them. Absolutely. Hey, Absolutely. What are you? What are you saying? Also, we sing a lot, so if you haven't listened to this first episode, I'm sorry. We have new episodes available every Thursday, and would love nothing more than to hang out with you. Does this sound too desperate? Yes. Okay, check us out wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll see you on Thursday. And as always, text me if you want to hang out. Bye. Top of the day, Trash Pandas. Welcome back to another episode of Hot Garbage, True Crime Edition. I'm your host, Nisha, and this is my beautiful best friend and co-host. Buddha badass. So today we have a special treat. So we'll get to all the reviews and everything, but we're going to do that next episode because we have a very important guest here, and he doesn't have a lot of time because he does tours. So, you know, he already has another tour lined Board up. tours. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I mean, that is great for you. That is part of your life. I'm surprised you're probably not dating this person. Oh, my God. Guys, so so when I was in New Orleans, I had the best time and the best tour guide. And so I have somebody here that's going to give us a lot of insight on, you know, his tours and a, a good story. So can everybody please welcome Wes to the show? Wes, thank you for coming on. Best Wes. Hey, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this because we've been talking about doing this for a long time. And this is, you know, your first podcast coming on here with us because you're like the best tour guy. So I'm so happy that you're That's here. Right. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to come on and talk with talk with some true crime freaks about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, you are in the right audience with the tour that you do. <laughs> right. Oh, and by the way, not only is he a, the best tour guy, but he also knows how to really talk about like cocktails. He told me about this drink. I, was it Love Potion Number Five? I fell in love with. It's my favorite drink ever. Now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one's they sell that at Bonds over by Jackson Square. Down yeah. The quarter. Yeah. Make yeah. sure you guys check that out because. I haven't been able to get it nowhere else. So murder and a love potion. That sounds like <laughs> the match made in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or it's some witchcraft. Yeah, definitely. Well, can you tell our uh, trash pandas, because we call our listeners trash pandas, because <laughs> can you tell them a little bit? she's about- something else. I did not vote for that. <laughs> Can you please tell them a little bit about just about your life in New Orleans and about you being a tour guide and everything like that before we get into sure. today's story? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've been a tour guide for about two years now. Before this, I was uh, teaching social studies here in uh, Louisiana. So uh, the pandemic happened and I needed a career change and I ended up uh, giving tours and it's, it's an absolute blast. You get to learn so much more about your city and meet people from all over like like you, Nisha. And, uh, yeah. Super, super fun to uh, get out there and just uh, tell people these crazy stories. So some of them are, you know, a little less crazy than this one we're going to be talking about here today. But yeah, yeah you, there's really... There's always so much to the city of New Orleans. It's my favorite place in the world. So oh, yeah. okay. getting to learn all those stories and share them with people is just really gratifying. And would you say that this is going to be like your forever career path? Like every time I go to New Orleans, you're going to be my tour guide, right? Even when I'm like 80? I, I oh. don't really want to leave New Orleans. That's, yeah. not, that's not my plan. So, okay, yeah, good. Hopefully, hopefully my knees are still working then. I'll be able to still give you tours. Okay, perfect. On Social Security. <laughs> so yeah we uh so at the end i'm gonna have you tell everybody where to like find you or where to sign up with you because he yeah, needs yeah. to be your tour guy well I mean, he's like the rocky balboa of tour guys is why you make it a <laughs> he is 
He saw, and the, the fun part about it was the very first, because when you do a tour, you go to different places. And the very first uh, tour that we did, I got them all to myself just because the other people, remember, they were so drunk that they came hecka late. So, so I got the. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So the first story, I got all to myself. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you guys were really close. I can see the bonds, I see the tightness. <laughs> So, so speaking of, you know, the stories, I wanted to ask before we get into your story, we previously did the Zach and Addie case, I want to say about three weeks ago. And oh, okay. I have said on there, I didn't want to spread rumors because there was one part that I wasn't sure about. So the, the part that I wasn't sure about in the Zach and Addie story, and I was hoping you could clear it up, is there's three different versions. The first version was... The landlord took his name off of the lease because she was having an affair with the landlord. But then I talked to somebody else in New Orleans who said that the landlord was a gay man who wouldn't have had an affair with her. And then somebody else said that the landlord was like, you guys just need to work it out amongst yourselves. I'm not taking his name off the lease. But that story don't make sense because why would he have killed her unless his name was taken off the lease? So can you clear that up? Because I didn't want to spread any rumors that wasn't true. So I just gave all three scenarios on this on the podcast. I, I just I just watched uh, a little bit of an interview with the landlord, actually. And he said that they rented an apartment. I don't, I'm not sure if they had initially signed a lease but a few days later Addie came to him and said uh can it just be you and me signing the lease mm-hmm. with not without zach on it so i think i don't know I, I don't know exactly how it went down but zach's name was not on the lease and oh. because Addie, Addie wanted to uh, as, as far as i understand that she wanted the ability to uh kick him out she needed to do that and i think that might have been a precipitating incident that happened here Oh, thank you. So that makes sense. If his name was never on the lease in the first place and she just said it's just me signing, that makes sense. I think that's the case. Like I, from, what, from what I understood from the interview, yeah. Okay, thank you so much for clearing that up because I didn't want to get sued by saying the landlord was sleeping with Addie. I just, yes. hot garbage don't have yeah. any money right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't sue us. But, so anyway, so now we're going to get into another uh, spooky tale or crazy tale. So we're kind of going to let you have the floor. So you're going to be telling today's story, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Zach and Eddie, that's a, it's a, it's a sensitive topic. I'll just say that right up on the bat. There's only one kind of, one uh, tour that I will actually do this story on. It's the one that you took with me, the true crime pub crawl that we do. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it is such a. I mean, your listeners have heard this story three weeks prior, so they know it is a very, very disturbing tale, very recent tale. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of people who live and work down the French Court knew Zach and Addie personally. So for a lot of people, it is a sensitive topic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Zach and Addie, they were both uh, both worked as bartenders down in the French Quarter uh, before Katrina happened, and when Katrina hit the city, um, I mean. Everyone knows, you know, it, it did a mass amount of damage to the city, flooded over 80% of the city, and killed over 1,400 people in New Orleans. But the French Quarter saw almost relatively, like, very little oh, uh, physical damage from the storm. Uh, it's kind of counterintuitive, but the closer you are to the river, the safer you were for the, from the flooding, because that's the highest ground. Oh. Uh, yeah, so no real flooding happened in the French Quarter. So, for actually, for a lot of people who are... There, there, there after Katrina, it became. I've heard some people describe it as like the atmosphere and those those days when you know they didn't have any power and they're completely cut off from the outside world as magic, mm-hmm. uh, which is strange, strange to say. But they uh, they were like literally unaware of what it was like in other parts of the city at the time and what was going on in the Superdome and how many people had died. Right. So, uh, for the people who were living there in the French Quarter, it was like their own this little island by themselves and uh, actually bonding during this, this time period before, you know, the national guard shows up and all that happens. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I've, I've heard interviews with, uh, with Zaganati's friends and they're describing it as this sort of idyllic time where everything that was, sounds like the happiest point in Zaganati's relationship almost. Yeah, it was strange, strange think of, right? Yeah. That's what we was talking about on the podcast. Like mm-hmm. we was like for everybody else, this was the worst thing that ever happened. But for them, they was just like living it up as King of Queen on this little apocalyptic yeah. time. 
and it, and it, it didn't stay that way obviously i mean once once people, the responders start showing up and uh they get a, become aware of all the trauma that's going around there for some people there's a lot of guilt it's like oh it's like i i was here for this experience but also pe- people in my city were suffering so much and what could i have done mm-hmm. um and then it's all all the stressors started to return and i, I think for zach seeing um seeing like the national guard and all these military vehicles roll in as well was pretty disturbing as well because I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure y'all talked about this but he was an army veteran he had uh, served mm-hmm. in the balkans and mm-hmm. in iraq mm-hmm. a lot of people think that he had trauma from from those from those times and you know seeing all that a military presence there must have been pretty stressful him as well yeah but this is the time period where their their relationship starts sounding a lot more tumultuous. Yeah, I think I think part of it is their personalities. You know, uh, everyone describes Addy as as being pretty peppery, and uh, uh, you know, their their style of relationship. They're both you know sound like they're abusing a lot of substances, alcohol, and other things. Mm-hmm. Good times, right? And some people, yeah, some people say that she um, was bipolar. I don't know. Actually, confirm that or not? Oh yeah, she was. I had looked up uh, when I did research. She was bipolar, and she had actually stopped taking her medications during this time as well. Yeah, I can, I can imagine she probably didn't have health insurance, you mm-hmm. know, um, as, a, as a bartender in the French Quarter. But, right. Um, I don't know if we could know that for certain. Any other way because of HIPAA and all that, but you know, that either either event, they certainly seemed like they argued a lot, and yeah. Zach was, you know, he sounded like he was not in a good place at all, and. There's um actually I just saw an interview with his mother when she was saying that she was having a relationship with a man as a matter of fact during this time period. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The whole uh, thing was it was wild. Yeah, yeah. So infidelity was becoming part of this as well, and then for some reason they decided to get this apartment together, almost like as a like almost like saving the relationship, like a, not having a baby, but let's let's have a, let's have an apartment, see if we can live together and save the save the relationship. And obviously, that was uh, a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah, and he actually paid for the whole... She talked him into paying for, like, the deposit and everything. That's what escalated it even more. Because oh. she didn't have no money at all. He had went back to work and stuff. And, he, like, she had him get the apartment. Boy, I hadn't I, I had heard that detail. Yeah, that makes, I, that makes it... Uh, that's, that's an interesting, interesting ang, ang little addition to the mix there, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a very volatile situation because within <clears throat> just a couple of weeks, I mean, they move in and it's a, it's and she, it, it comes to a head almost immediately. Yeah. 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 That was wild. Hip hop love. <laughs> he said the hip hop love. Well, I know that. Uh, so that's that's like a major story in New Orleans. And I was going to ask, because I don't remember the timeline. I know you've been there for two years, but had you been there before? Were you one of the people that had at least seen them walking around or something? No, no. Oh. I, I, my first visited New Orleans uh, in the spring of 2005 when I was a, a young college kid. And I had just gone and visited my sister. And then the next time I went back to was well after Katrina. So. I, did, I definitely didn't know know them, or as far as I know, ever encountered them. Yeah. But yeah, there's, yeah. There's still definitely plenty of, plenty of people down there who didn't know them personally. Yeah, uh, I did speak to some people when I was out there who had they didn't know him personally, but they said they would see him like walking around, or they would see them in the street, or sure, something yeah. like that. I I, I definitely legends. I definitely know mm-hmm. that some people are like sensitive to tour guys telling us to wear at all, which is why you, you try to be as respectful as possible with telling the story and when you tell it and who you tell it to. Yeah. Uh, but, well, uh, should we get into the details of what, what actually happened there then? So, nobody really, um, nobody really knew what happened. Uh, they just, one day, you know, Addy stopped showing up to work and Zach actually, he stopped showing up to work for a few days as well and he pops in and looks like complete shit. Uh, I'm sorry, is it okay to curse in your podcast? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right, just double check on that. Yeah, he uh, looks looks terrible and says that Addy has left him and moved, moved up north. And, you know, that seems to be a very common excuse when your girlfriend suddenly goes missing in the French Quarter. Yeah. I can tell you that. But that is a recurring theme in a lot of true crap stories down there. Uh, oh. But, yeah, 
he, he go, he's just going on a bender, <laughs> just really drinking and not sleeping. And people, his coworkers and friends will see him around on the street, but looking incredibly disheveled, hardly talking. And then one night he goes to the Omni Royal Hotel, which I took you to when you, when you visited. Yeah. Now, Omni Royal Hotel, very historic structure. It's over 200 years old. It used to be the St. Louis Hotel back in the 1800s. But he goes up to the rooftop bar and he starts drinking. And he's, he's you know, he's and he's at the very end of this bender. People around him don't know this, but this is, this is the end of the road for Zach. And he starts drinking so much. The bartender, she's a little worried that, you know, he's not going to be good for it. But uh, and when it comes, comes on to settle up at the end of the night, they can't find him. He actually, they actually start going outside and picking up drinks, cleaning up after her. And they, they see one drink on the ledge of the bar. Mm-hmm. And they go on over to the very edge of the bar and they look over to the side of the building to the parking garage down on the sub-level below. I see Zach's body. He had jumped. Mm-hmm. So a couple... A couple of detectives show up to work the case. They're not surprised by the circumstances. So, you know, if you're a New Orleans police, a police detective, a homicide, you've seen it all. Yeah. But I mean, actually, I, I was, was, I was listening. They fronting you the drinks before you pay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about. Uh, yeah, no, I was actually uh, listening to an interview with uh, Tom Morovich, who's one of the detectives on the case, and. He describes it as like, he's like, you expect to see the worst, but you don't expect the worst to be this. You don't expect it to be this bad. Mm-hmm. So, so when they get they get to the parking garage and they go on the rooftop, they search his body and they find him in a suicide note that says, this was not an accident. Uh, I had to take a life to pay for the one that I took. It says that in his front right pocket, there's a key to his apartment on Rampart Street. If they go there, that's where they'll find Addie. So... They go on over to the, the apartment, they open up the door, and it's pitch black inside. That's the first thing that they notice. Second thing they notice is that it's 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 cold in there. It feels mm-hmm. like a meat locker. They mm-hmm. looked all the window units running up full blast. And they flick the lights on. So this is when they see that there's spray-painted writing on all the walls, saying all sorts of things. Like, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to hurt her. Uh, I'm a total failure. Make the pain stop. Mm-hmm. And look in the oven. And when they they go on over to the oven, they open up that oven door. There's actually a spray painted arrow pointing at the kitchen oven. And inside there's a there's a turkey pan. And inside are her charred limbs. Mm-hmm. Now on top of the stove there's two different pots. The front pot, they open that one up. Inside is Addie's cooked head. On the back pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the one. Yeah, this is the one. The, the yeah. most famous one in New Orleans. Or cooked it because he didn't oh, eat her. He just cooked her remains. He was trying to get rid of the body. Right. This, this is oh, the yeah. one we had covered. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh yeah. They were. They were. He was thinking that it was to help separate the 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 flesh from the bone. Really. Mm hmm. And and that back pot. I mean, it works for her. neck bones. Yeah, huh? It does, huh? If you cook a turkey or a chicken too long, that meat starts falling off the bone. The theory was solid. Uh, the execution was. Uh, I, he should have slow roasted. That's what he should have done. He should have threw oh, those body parts into a crock pot. Oh, huh? Oh, That'd broke it yeah. all down. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh man, everything everything goes into crock pot. That's true, huh? <clears throat> oh yeah, especially on the slow rolls. Put a little water oh, in the bottom. Oh yeah, boom. That's a good idea. <laughs> so that's what now he did wrong. Now you're coming up with ideas. I'm a little worried for you too. <laughs> 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 At least I'm in a different state right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're crazy. Uh, I was. Uh huh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah, but in that back pot, that's where they found her hands and her feet. And in the in the refrigerator, that there was a plastic garbage bag, and inside that was Addie's torso. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's ugly. That so I know. Got a meat slicer or something. 
Well, I was going to ask, so I know that this story is more like recent. So how, so the story that you have, I forgot what, I couldn't think of the guy's name. What is his name? We're, we're talking about that slave. How long ago did that happen from this? Oh, are, are we talking about San Malo here? The, so, one the one you got a private audience for? Yes. Oh yes, my gosh. Yes. That's what it was. Yeah. So, cause that one happened in the 1800s, right? That was actually earlier. Uh, I believe it was the 1790s or, or the 1780s. Oh, yeah. 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 That's the one so, that, man, because Buddha hasn't heard that one. I know a lot of trash pandas haven't heard that one before at all. So it's like crazy. Yeah, We're going from the new to the old right now. Those yeah, were yeah. the days. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually discovered this story in a, in a book that was written by the, the head of the history department over at Tulane University. Uh it's called the Accidental City. Highly recommend if you want to learn about New Orleans history. But it's about a guy named Sam Malo, who you can basically think of as Black Robin Hood. Okay. He was. I'll be like yeah, him. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a hook, right? Yeah. So this guy, this guy, he's West African, enslaved and brought over to work on a plantation in Louisiana. But he ends up doing what a lot of folks did when they didn't like the conditions they found himself in. Ends up running away and heading off into the swamp. Now, very, very hard to survive on the swamp by yourself. So he becomes the leader of what's called a Maroon Colony. Basically, a village of men, women, and children all living out there in the swamp together. Now, uh, it's still very hard to survive out there, even if you got this whole village around you. But you can you can grow a little bit of food, but not much because it's swampland. You can oh. also fish. Yeah, yeah. And there's alligators and stuff too that mm-hmm. they gotta worry about on. I, I guess you could that. you could try to catch alligators. That's, that gets a little dangerous. But yeah. All <laughs> right. Uh, but you can also do things like fish and hunt and uh, chop down trees and sell them to lumber mills that are gonna look the other way. And you could do the Robin Hood type of shit. You mm-hmm. can raid plantation storehouses in the dead of night and take what you need. Mm-hmm. Now, one time he goes and raids a plantation storehouse with a guy who's guarding it that night puts up a little bit too much resistance and end up killing the man, which brings him to the attention of the authorities. Now, the authorities at the time, they were, uh, as you can imagine, very wealthy uh, plantation owners who own not just a couple of people, but dozens or hundreds of people. And they don't like the maroon colonies. So they'll try to go and recapture people sometimes, raid the colonies and bring people back to slavery. Oh. yeah, Honest but unless you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless you're just gonna keep somebody chained up like twenty four seven, it's kind of like playing whack a mole. Like if those folks really want to, if they really don't like the conditions they're in, they can wander off usually into back of town and rejoin these maroon colonies if they really want to. Oh, they have their so, foot chopped off like Punta. Right. That okay. So yeah. that that was my question. Can you explain? Because I want to some clarity about what sure, was these yeah. plantation storefronts? What exactly were they? Were they owned by like the people that owned the slaves, like little stores or plantation, plantation. storefronts? That's what he just said. He said that he robbed a plantation storefront and killed the guy. That means I, that, that's no, the no, lemonade like stand in front of the plantation. They had so, Negroes up there selling lemonade. What? <laughs> that's the plantation storefront. <laughs> <laughs> like a storehouse so like the things that they would have like stored like all of their like uh valuables and basically oh so, okay it's yeah so like a like a plantation you're gonna have i, I, I can imagine you're gonna have like equipment probably firearms and oh, okay. some, oh, like storage. fruits of like actual yeah like whatever you're growing maybe as well oh okay okay thank you yeah. for that yeah you're rating them for valuables basically mm-hmm. yeah so uh yeah, like a guy like San Malo, though, he really attracts the attention of the authorities because San Malo is not afraid of fighting fire with fire. So one time they do actually go and capture some of his men, and they're returning them to slavery. Mm-hmm. San Malo does not take that line down. He tracks the boat as makes its way back to New Orleans, and he attacks it, capsizes it, and gets most of his men back. Now, oh, okay. one, of his men, one of his men does drown in the process, but he gets the rest of his men back. Oh. I mean, he should. Uh, I mean, as a standard in being a Negro leader, black leader, <laughs> you need to ask your followers who can swim. <laughs> it's going to be fifty-fifty, right? Because that's the truth, though. Right? Like it, some it of them are, de- especially in that time period. Like, okay, come on now. <laughs> like, you gotta look at them and be like, I'm sorry, my man, but this is it. Yeah. 
Oh my god, that is, but that is a fucked up situation to be in because it's like, what if you can't swim and this is how you need to escape? Right, that's what I'm saying. Even even up to this time period, not from then even till now, if you're going to be a leader of a gang or group, you need to have a show of hands. Like, hey, who here can swim? Well, you know what that does bring me to, and I'm sorry, I'll get back to the story, but it it made me think of when I was in the Dominican Republic, they, our tour guide out there took us to this cliff and it was like a 25 foot, the, the, you jump off and then the water is like 25 feet deep. And he straight up said, whoever don't know how to swim, don't get in here because I'm not jumping in to save you. And it was really sad because it was like, you know, people really, a lot of people jumped in with no life jacket and they was fine and stuff, but a lot of people did not get in. I mean, no, they didn't. And it's really sad that this man lives on an island and don't know how to swim. No, he knows how to swim. He got in. He jumped in. What he said was, he's not going to jump in because that's not, he straight up said, this is not my job. I'm a tour guy, but I'm not going to save anybody's life. And then right after that, he jumped off the cliff and jumped in and swam his ass off. I mean, well, then that's just lazy. And then my daughter. At that point, I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I wouldn't have jumped in. It wouldn't have been scared of being jumping in. I'd be like, this punk just said he ain't helping nobody. He ain't paid to do that. <laughs> nope. Not going to sit here and put myself at risk no, at that point. I, I'm, just, I'm totally on this guy's side. <laughs> right? Like, uh-uh. I'd be like, nah, not putting myself at risk. I wouldn't even eat a sandwich from him at that point. <laughs> like, nope. I'm not going to take any chances at anything I don't know because you're not going to help me. <laughs> but see, that's what I'll say. But that's why you're the best tour guide, Wes, because you would jump in and save your people, wouldn't you? I try. I don't know if I'd be any good at it. <laughs> I'd come in and fake it, I can't, I can't, but at least I try. You would survive. <laughs> right? At least jump in there and fake like you are. At least go in there, splash, and make all type of noise and call for Lassie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like somebody get Lassie. God damn it, somebody get Lassie. You know, but don't turn around to me before you jump in and do a backwards double dip swan dive <laughs> off of a cliff and tell me how you're not gonna save me. Well, and then, well, and then towards the end, because I always I tip my tour guides, and my and I gave him a tip. And my daughter said, "Why would you tip him? He just said he wouldn't even say right? what I said." But <laughs> I gave him a tip. I'd have been like, "Bro, next time in the future, don't tell nobody that. That's your tip. <laughs> just keep that to yourself." <laughs> I'm sorry. So okay, so one of his men died in the drowning, and then but everybody right. else was fine, right? Yeah, everybody else got rescued and uh, got, to go, got to go back to the moon colony. Uh, now, there was another time where down in South Mississippi, some other folks had captured some of his men. Mm-hmm. And these, these folks, they weren't, they weren't French, they weren't affiliated with the government in New Orleans. They were uh, pirates who would go around capturing people so they could sell them into slavery somewhere else. They just oh. got stolen property. Yeah. Damn you, Captain Jack Sparrow. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they actually, he goes and he gets his men back and he massacres these pirates with hatches. Kills about five people, I believe. Damn. Wow. He yeah. wasn't playing. He was hella good. He was Mel no. Gibson. No, 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 no. Right. So he, no. he, Matt, he uh, slaughtered up all the pirates? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone who was holding them down there on the on the Gulf in Mississippi. Melly owed him some copyright laws. That's a copyright infringement. You wasn't the first person to hack people up with, with, with uh, hatchets. <laughs> Right. Time honored tradition. Time honored right. tradition. I think it's fair this use at this point. Passed on from generation to generation is a good hatchet <laughs> hacking. Right. Okay, so uh, now the authorities in New Orleans are really freaked out because they're, they're they only have two motivations. The folks in New Orleans, they one is greed. They came there to get rich in the first place, mm-hmm. but the second is fear. They created a majority black city so they could get rich, and now they're terrified it's going to rise up and kill them all. Which, mm. by the way, not an idle threat. 20 years after the story takes place, the largest rebellion of enslaved folks in the history of the United States is going to happen right in South Louisiana on the German coast, just upriver from New Orleans. Forms an army that marches on the city of New Orleans. So oh, wow. what they really want to do, they want to make an example out of San Malo to send a message to anybody who might be thinking of following his example. So they actually get a tip from an informant, someone who lets them know where his secret hideout is down on Lake Bourne. So they go down, they look a bunch of ships, they go down river to Lake Bourne, which at the time was still a lake. Now it's not a lake anymore. It's all eroded and just part of uh, the whole estuary system there. But they f- end up finding uh, San Malo and his men just 
chilling. You know, they were just hanging out on the banks of Lake Bourne. Mm. And so they take, they take them by surprise. They capture a couple dozen of them, including Zamal. Mm. Now, they found him hiding in a tree, so they shoot into the tree, hit him in the arm, and he falls to the ground. Now, at this point, he knows he's fucked. He knows that there's no way that they're going to let him live. Damn. So he begs him to kill him right there and right then. But <clears throat> that's not what they want. They want to make a big, big production out of this to really intimidate everyone else who's enslaved in the colony. Mm-hmm. So, so they take him and his men back up river. They put him on trial, and they sentence him and five of his compatriots to death, including his wife. That was that's what flabbergasted me because I was like his wife was at home and they just went and got her ass too. They was like, oh, he's not procreating. <laughs> we killing your children before they born. We don't even want you thinking about being like him. Damn! Imagine being a housewife yeah. just putting a pie in the oven and you get arrested and don't even know what the fuck for. Right, and and his baby mama too. The chick on the side got it. She was like, yeah, we know where that coochie been. <laughs> Bring it over. <laughs> Smells like deceit. <laughs> yeah. Guilty. Yeah, but it, 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 <laughs> uh, they hang all six. Yeah. They're the wife the time, too, right? The wife gets hung. The wife too. The wife too. Yeah. Damn. And but that wound on Samal's arm, like they hang him about a week later, and it's gotten infected. It's turned to gangrene. So they say he was delirious when he died, like not in his right mind. Damn. And actually, um, most of his men, they're Catholics. Like most people in Louisiana, they were Catholic. So. They're actually denied their last rites by the Catholic Church, which, wow. yeah, that's and it's not up. because the Catholic Church, Church that they were beyond redemption. The Catholic Church doesn't really believe anybody's beyond redemption. Uh, it's because they own one of the people being put to death, and they're basically just throwing a fit at the government for executing their property without their permission. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, that was wild. I had forgot about yeah. that part because that was a big thing if you were Catholic. You right? had to have your last rites. That's fucked up. They didn't want them going to heaven. Yeah. No, this is, they didn't even care about that. They were just like, we own this person. You, you don't have the right to kill them without our permission. Damn. That was, that was their whole reasoning. Yeah, the Catholic Church in the 1700s in Louisiana. Pretty, you- uh, pretty checkered past. Do you think, I mean, because, yeah, it was messed up that he was delirious and the wound got infected, but if you're about to get hung, wouldn't you rather be delirious? Do you think that was better? Because I don't want to know that I'm getting no, no, hung. I, I would, I, I don't know if I would choose gangrene as the source of my delirium, you know what I mean? Right. So, like, maybe some absence. Something, <laughs> right. Because, oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. So then, I can't imagine it's a good time either way. I know, at, at all. So I'm just wondering, so after that happened, you know, obviously, you know, he never had, of course, no kids or anything like that. So, like, what happened after that? Because I remember you said, wasn't there, like, some laws that was put into effect or he made, like, a major change, right, in New Orleans, kind of like? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, the, the, the government from time to time would actually, like, freak out and get, like, more restrictive and less restrictive because, like, they're, they're always worried about controlling controlling the people in this majority black colony and they're so super they're super afraid and like what they want to be really restrictive all the times but at the same time being a majority black colony you need to allow black people to be able to do some stuff because Mm -hmm. otherwise nothing's ever going to get done because black people are doing all the work you know they're building everything and they're learning all the trades and like you need them to keep actually have a functioning city so uh Negroes don't work anyway. (laughs) These were the old ancient Negroes that did work hard. Oh my gosh. Ah, Negroes don't work. That's what they were saying. Like, who's going to teach them monkeys technology? (laughs) But yeah, that's the reality of being in a majority black place. Like, if you're like uh, in the American South, like, there was just so many more white people than there were black people. Mm -hmm. But they. That they would like keep uh, black people just like doing like one thing like the the menial labor, but if it's if it if there's hardly any white people around, you need black people to know how to do everything. So you would teach them how to do all the different stuff so they could build the city and be architects and all that all that sort of thing. And oh, wow. so you 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 would get you would get up uh, uh, people who are trained in a lot of different things and these became valuable skills, especially if you were like managed to become free and then you could like 
actually become wealthy doing that. So sounds crazy. They allowed them to read books. I know that sounds like, and I'm I'm glad to hear it because that was the fall of America when the Negroes started to read. Well, it was funny because I think it was last week we did the Delphine Lalari uh, case. And when I was oh, researching, yeah. yeah, when I was researching that case, I was like, I learned a lot because I thought this whole time, like slavery, nobody gave a fuck about the slaves. The slaves couldn't do anything. You know, and it still was that, that they didn't give a fuck. But I didn't know about the cult noir and I didn't know about a lot of this stuff. And just like what you like, I didn't know that a lot of slaves was like, you know, actually like taught these skills that can actually become wealthy. Like, I didn't know that. They could become wealthy, but they were taught trade. No, he just said they could become wealthy off that in the all-black city. In New Orleans, in New Orleans, it was very different than it was in the rest of the American South. So it actually does become like a majority free city uh, before the Civil War happens because just be. It's really down to the differences in systems. Really, it's like a lot of people put it on the Code Noir in Louisiana, but it's really the Spanish who are like the main influence there. So, like the Spanish had like a different system. They gave enslaved folks uh, Sundays off, and they were actually allowed on Sundays to hire themselves out for paid labor. They could also uh, fish and hunt and grow produce and sell it on market days on Sundays. And you kill enough money, you're legally entitled to purchase your own freedom. Oh. and then once you're free, you have this money coming in already. So you can you kind of have the ball rolling and you can start to purchase the freedom of your loved ones as well. So wow. that kind of scene flips to become a majority free black. But you do have some families get very bougie, like free black families before the Civil War happens. Mm-hmm. Because they, they did have certain like legal rights in the Spanish system that did not exist in the, the English system of slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and there's also there's also a caste system happening. So it's like a racial pyramid that you can climb over time. It's kind of like legalized colorism. That's how I describe it. It's mm-hmm. so like basically you could become legally more white over time. So it gets, it gets a lot of these families invested in this racial hierarchy. Uh, oh. but, and so like, oh, actually you will get like, for, you get free black families who come like quite a bit of wealth. Some of them do. And some of them even own people themselves. So it's like, Oh, yeah. So it, well, I mean, I found that out too for my family. It was kind of crazy to realize. Yeah. My family oh, really? Wow. Slaves. Do you have yeah. roots in Louisiana? Um, uh, Missouri and the and the can and Kansas, but I, I want to okay. say that the good amount of them did. Some of them did come from the southern states of Louisiana because they were they were uh, Creole and Cuban. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what oh, I was okay. telling a lot of people. I was like, it was actually my father was Cuban, but he was just dark skinned and people called him black. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, this is all like features of the Spanish system. So the Cuban system would have probably been pretty similar to uh, to what we're talking about here. Yeah, so it's it, in a way it's like uh, the whole, kind of one of the one of the points of this. I mean, one of the motivations for for having the system is because the Spanish. Uh, well, they were they, they took Catholicism seriously. That's why they like were like, oh, the souls of the enslaved people are important too. Uh, but they also didn't have like the manpower to like colonize all these places. They didn't have enough Spaniards who wanted to move to mm-hmm. all these Americas. So they need to rely on the people that they're enslaving from Africa. And they need to rely on indigenous folk, folks as well. So uh, this is kind of the reality for them. But also, like having this racial hierarchy, this pyramid that people can climb, mm-hmm. like, gets gets everyone invested in like the system. You know, it's like if I'm all the, how if much all, would it cost to get the, at least ten to twenty percent white in me? Uh, I don't can, know. Can we still buy some whiteness? I don't know, Wes. Maybe you taxes. can answer this. It'll help you on your taxes, <laughs> Wes. How how much does it cost? Buddha wants to know to buy some whiteness. Some I whiteness. I do. I just twenty five percent whiteness. <laughs> It was pretty expensive, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, like Drake would if, if all the yeah, all the brown people have been like we're on the same team, they could have just like overthrown the whole system. But if you get a get like bougie folks like invested in the system, then it keeps them from like uniting. You know what I mean? Yeah, they see themselves as part of a different class instead. So just so I'm clear, now a lot of these was New Orleans slaves. So obviously slavery is horrible, but if you were going to be a slave, would you say that it would be better for the New Orleans slaves? Because the other slaves did not have these to where they're off on Sundays and they could do all this stuff, right? To me, that is a rhetorical question. If you can buy your whiteness, slavery's better. (laughs) Slavery's better there if you can buy your whiteness. If you could buy your whiteness. Wow. Now, I don't know. I don't you know. can be darker like, than Louis- James Earl Jones, 
but you can come out white. That's, I didn't know you could even do that. That's, I didn't know you could either. But you work on Sundays. Everybody else is resting, but the Negro must work on the day when the Lord is down so he don't see you out there. Oh, and wow. then you can buy yourself some whiteness so he will see you later. Damn. And love you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's like, I mean, there's there's positives and there's negatives, I would guess. But like, in Louisiana, like, if you were on a sugar plantation, that <laughs> would just be absolute hell because people died like flies. Why, what was going on sugar. at the sugar uh, plantation? Well, it's all about like the harvest. Like when, like when the when the actual harvest came in, you would have to process the sugar, and it was incredibly brutal process. So oh. people would just die by. <laughs> That's like, crazy. Huge mortality rate. if you're working on a sugar plantation. If you were if you were enslaved in the city of New Orleans and you're working working on a plantation, I imagine it would be a lot better. But you definitely didn't want to be out on one of the sugar plantations. I wonder what do they have to do. I got the manufacturing of the of the equipment, all that heavy equipment. Oh, is that why? Yeah, it's, it's like because you, when you when you harvest the sugar, you got to like refine it uh, so it can be like crystallized and all that. And that process is like was very very dangerous, like oh. very very grueling. Damn. And I wonder, well, it probably depends on who buys you because how do you determine if you get to go to a plantation or a sugar? You don't get to determine jack crap. We are talking about Negroes. (laughs) (laughs) What? What determines it is your price. That's what determines it. Was you you two for one? Did you get a good deal? Is that a big, strong buck with a good back? Look at his clean teeth. That's what determines what what plantation you go to. He says 35 cents or 45 cents. That's so terrible. I can't even. I can't even. You're not wrong. And and you remember the hotel where uh, Zach jumped off of the Omni Royal? Yeah, I remember that. I told you it was a 200 year old hotel. It used to be the St. Louis Hotel, and they used that used to be a market for enslaved folks. That one. Oh, I didn't know that. That was all over town, like all parts of town. I don't even know how how many dozens of different markets there were around town where they would do that. That's crazy. So, like, okay, so that was, and so what about, because I wanted to read more about the Code Noir. What made New Orleans have that, but nowhere else have that? Was it just depending on who was in charge at that time? Was it a political thing? Well, the Code Noir was from the French, yeah. So, uh, it was, our Code Noir was kind of adapted from the one that they were using in Haiti. And a lot of people from Louisiana will tell you the Code Noir was very enlightened, but it, it really wasn't at all. Like, it was actually, it started off, like, back when they, when, when uh, they first started slavery, it was, was more light, but they kept making it more and more restrictive. Mm-hmm. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to have more and more control over all these enslaved folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really, really uh, a, the Spanish who had, like, a, if, if you want to say that there was anything more gentle about, about slavery in Louisiana than other places, I think you owe, it was more to the Spanish than it does to the Code Noir, just because they really they really were very Catholic. The Spanish, I gotta give them credit for that. They really did take the religion seriously because mm-hmm. that was the whole reason Spain existed in the first place was to defend Catholicism in Iberia and Europe and around the world. So they were, they got all the moral legitimacy, and the only reason they were able to keep the empire together is because they were seen as you know. Catholics who were the defenders of the faith, and that's why they were legitimate. So they actually did like, okay, we will give everyone some civil rights, and we will will allow you to allow you to have the Sabbath off, and we'll allow you to actually make money and things like that. While the French were were actually, they did not really take Catholicism that seriously. It was more about making money, and uh, they they wanted to make it more and more restrictive. But the Spanish government. And like the late 1700s was like really keeping them or fighting back a little bit from that impulse. We was always a good mix. Latinos and the black families. Right. We was always men in the mix together. And we make pretty babies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Latin, black, and A. If you have a blazing, woo, you talking about somebody fine. Yeah, man. But Latinos and the brownos, we were supposed to be together anyway. Yeah, that's amazing. This has been so knowledgeable. Like, I'd rather listen to Wes than history, because I always hated history in school. Like, it's so boring. But Wes, like, you could be uh, my history teacher. Like, seriously. Oh, well, he does sound like he's from the History Channel. Yeah. Yeah, I used, to, I, used to, I used to love teaching the kids. But, uh, yeah, history, 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 
Yeah, public school in uh, Louisiana kind of broke me during the pandemic. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask, what is your personal favorite story out of all the stories you hear about New Orleans? Like, what is your personal one? My personal favorite story? Oh, man. I I do like the San Malo one a lot. That's a big one for me. Yeah. I I like telling that one, too, because most people don't know it and don't tell it. So, um... I don't know. I think that I think I probably would pick that one. If, if, yeah. Give me a minute. I might be able to think of another one that I like as much much as that one. There is the Baroness Pantalba. Have you heard this story? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, what? New Orleans has the name. Yeah. Baroness. Yeah. Like New Orleans believed in you, somebody. Ooh. Okay. Uh, do you uh, do you have time to tell that story right now? Because sure, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. Okay. Now, now the Baroness. She wasn't born a baronet. She was born Michaela Alma Nestor. I always thought of like Michaela as like a, you know, a 2003 name, but apparently you could be born in the 1700s and get a name Michaela. So right. there you go. I love it. She was progressive. Yeah. Yeah. Now she was she was born to the wealthiest. Uh, she had the wealthiest family in the entire colony at the time, and she ends up inheriting the entire fortune because she's her her father's only child, mm. and. When she inherits that fortune, she ends up marrying her cousin over in France. So her cousin was the son of the of the Baron Pantalba. So she was going to become the Baroness Pantalba, live happily ever after in a castle with her cousin. Which you know, but that's kind of how things went back in 1805. So, but she gets over there, and it turns out her new father-in-law is a huge asshole. Mm-hmm. He'd only married his son to her so he could get his hands on her incredible fortune. The problem for him was, though, this wasn't Virginia, this wasn't London, because in the English-speaking world, if they got married, immediately she would have ceased to exist as a legal entity, all of her stuff would have belonged to her husband. But in France, you're a woman, you got married, you kept control of your own money, you could do with it as you wanted to do, as a woman. Oh. So, really pisses off her father-in-law. He keeps trying to get control of her fortune, she keeps telling him to go piss off. Now, eventually, this guy snaps and takes a pair of dueling pistols and shoots her four times in the chest. Oh. Yeah. Shit. And this is the old school kind of pistol, too. He would have needed to reload in between rounds here. I mean, can you imagine? It's like, hold on. Killing right, there. right. What the heck? Because yeah, I, I don't even picture it. In a second. Yeah. Right. Because I picture killing like boom, 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 boom. But damn, this was a long ass killing. No. Man, he had to, put, no, he had to yeah. stuff it in, bite off the tip of the, the, the gunpowder. Put that down there. <laughs> stuff it down. With <laughs> like, hold on, bitch. You got another one coming. Stuff it down. Like, I'm pissed off now. He had, he had been pissed off for a while. Right. Because yeah. what? Like, Belvedere, pour my tea. Get this flint going. <laughs> <laughs> now, she actually she actually throws her hand up, up to, like, protect herself. But one of the bullets takes out a couple of her fingers. Oh. Now, thinking he's. He thinking he just killed his daughter-in-law. He takes one of those pistols, reloads it again, turns on himself, and blows his brains out. Shit. The crazy part, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the crazy thing is that he didn't actually kill his daughter-in-law. She actually survived four gunshot wounds to the chest. She was the first rapper. (laughs) (laughs) She was 50 Cent. That's who she was. Right. Man, that's probably Uh, his ancestor. Right. That that was written actually on her... uh, Stoomstone is one of her uh, old sayings. Fifty Cent stole it. I've been hit with a few shells, but I don't walk with a limp. <laughs> old, old saying. Uh, yeah, it, it really doesn't make any sense how she made it. Man. Like they didn't even have antibiotics to prevent an infection, but somehow she recovers. Minus a couple of fingers, goes back to Louisiana, where she actually ends up. Uh, she actually really shapes Jackson Square, like the most famous part of the French Quarter. She builds the two buildings on either side of it called the Pantalba Apartment Buildings, mm-hmm. which are actually the two oldest continuously occupied apartment buildings in all of the United States today. And she also designs the park in the middle of the square. So did a ton to shape, the, shape that space right there. And also was a big real estate baron in France as well. The U.S. Embassy in Paris today is located inside this building called the Hotel Pantalba because she built that building too. Wow, what is it? got nothing on her. I know. That's a powerhouse she, she was a right boss, there. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's, I love to see women like prosper like that. 
I know you do because you wouldn't even let me help you open a bottle today. You uh, are so yeah. Good for women. I was trying to sit here over there. But it was like, do you need help? I was like, no. Why would you even ask me that? Right, and threw stuff at me. I was like, well, woman's right. <laughs> There you go, the Baroness Pintalba. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's like one of my favorites now, too. I put that on the list. That's, That's my one favorite. of my favorite gangsters of all time, on some real. Yeah. Like, I looked in that and back in my, in my mind, and I'm going to be like, she was dope. She was real. Well, Wes, thank you so much. These were such good stories. Oh, my gosh. I'm giving you a virtual hug. I can't wait to come to New Orleans to see you again. Yeah, I can't wait for you to come back. You definitely come back and see us sometime. Yes. You it, too, bud. Yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, she's she's forcing me to get out and get places. Yeah, so right. That's gonna be like the new addition, um, with our with our fan base growing. Just to let you guys know, as fans as well, uh, for the future of uh, hot garbage is within the next year to two years, she wants us to start going to other places. Yes. And recording at these spooky places. So, can you please tell everybody oh, yeah. like where to find you, Wes, and how to sign up for your tour and get you specifically for a tour guide, please? Sure. If you want, if you want to take my my tour specifically, I do work for a tour company called Tour Orleans. We we have a lot of great tours, like all different kinds of tours: ghost tours, pub crawls, true crime tours, city bus tours, uh, walking day tours on things like Voodoo and the different neighborhoods like the Garden District or cemeteries. But if you want to take a tour specifically from me, I, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. My handle is West the Tour Guide. With a D at the end, G U I D E. Uh, yeah, I couldn't believe that wasn't taken, so I took it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's just hit me up on there. I can uh, arrange range a tour for it, let you know what my schedule will be for when you're gonna be in town, and uh, yeah, take it from there. Oh, good. And I want to let everybody know just to ask them to make sure you tip this man. You guys, if you guys can afford, right? If you guys can afford a trip, if you guys can afford the tour, make sure you put that extra little tip. Tip your tour guide. Tip your we tour guide. We definitely appreciate it. Yes, I tip all tour guides, even the ones that would have let me drown. I tip them anyway. No, you, yeah, you, you're hurt. You shouldn't. But you're, yeah. He should have learned a lesson that day. Uh-huh. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And if you guys want to keep up with Hot Garbage, you can follow us on Instagram, Hot Garbage Show. You can send us a Gmail, hotgarbagenews at gmail.com. Please join the Facebook discussion group, Hot Garbage True Crime Edition. And also, please keep the five-star reviews coming. Rate whatever platform you're listening to this show on. You can give us a rating, five stars and up. Is there even an up, like five stars? I think you can, you can only do five Would stars. Would you just create another account and then star five stars again? Yes, that's exactly right. And next week we are going to be, what are we doing next week? I forgot. Oh, next week is a listener request. Yes. Yes, a listener request. We have a whole bunch of listener requests that we're going to be doing. Okay. You know, I love the listener requests. Yes. So take care and watch your back out there.